The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Hong Kong announcing the easing of even more COVID measures. Stocks there are rising on the news. Outrage at Southwest. Stranded travelers and government officials speaking out as the airline warns of even more flight cancellations. Tesla investors hitting the brakes. The stock headed for its worst month, worst quarter, worst year on record. And developments in the Sam Bankman-Fried saga, new reports on Alameda Research lending him money for a Robinhood stake and the probe into how $372 million vanished in a hack after FTX's fall. Plus, tis the season for bonuses and pay raises. So why is the AMC CEO asking his board to just say no? It's Wednesday, December 28, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Dominic Chu. In for Brian Sullivan today. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. equity futures, which are somewhat muted and stable at this hour. We've seen kind of a movement to the upside and downside marginally so for the Dow futures. Right now, they're just about in the middle of the intraday trading range so far, implied higher by roughly 52 points, the S&P higher by just about three and the Nasdaq implied higher by just about one to two points and now just about flat on the session right now. So we'll keep an eye on that more steady trade in U.S. equity futures. Now, checking on the bond market, yields, remember, did move solidly higher yesterday, but just backing off a little bit today. The 10-year benchmark Treasury note yield now above 3.83%, the two-year note yield 4.34%, and the 30-year long bond just around 3.90% right now. In energy, Oil prices also seeing some near-term momentum to the upside and then reversing course a little bit today. We're seeing WTI crude U.S. benchmark prices for West Texas Intermediate, $79.09. That's down about 44 cents or about one half of 1%. A similar percentage decline for ice Brent crude futures. The world benchmark gauge, $83.82. And Nat gas prices now below $5, $4.94 there for Nat gas. In cryptocurrencies, again, Still watching that 16,000 level for Bitcoin prices. We're slightly lower today, though, but still above that. 16,658, the last trade there, just about flat on the session for Bitcoin. Ethereum prices now below 1,200, $1,195.85, or about a 1% decline there. Let's get right to this morning's top stories, starting with Southwest's continued struggles. And Silvana Hinao is here with those. Hi, Silvana. Dom, good morning. Well, Southwest Airlines is warning of more flight cancellations today. This after scrapping nearly two-thirds of its flights yesterday and about 70% of its schedule on Monday. CEO Bob Jordan offering this apology. I want everyone who is dealing with the problems we've been facing, whether you haven't been able to get to where you need to go or you're one of our heroic employees caught up in a massive effort to stabilize the airline Uh, to know is that we're doing everything we can to return to a normal operation. And please also hear that I'm truly sorry. Among the reasons for the problems, well, Southwest execs 
point to bad winter weather in multiple cities, staffing shortages at its fuel vendor in Denver, and technology failures that left crew members struggling to figure out assignments. Southwest drawing criticism from customers, staff, lawmakers, and the Biden administration. Here's Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Again, we're hearing from a lot of passengers who haven't been able to get to anybody uh, on the phone. So uh, I'm looking to the airline to make sure not just that they're meeting the bare minimum of, of legal requirements, but they're really taking care of passengers who are stuck and in many cases stuck without an end in sight. And we're going to have to take a deeper look at what's going on with their scheduling systems, other issues that uh, may have contributed to this. Because while we all understand that uh, you can't control the weather, uh, this, is, this has clearly crossed the line from what's an uncontrollable weather situation to something that is the airline's direct responsibility. And Dom, meantime, the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science and Transportation said it would look into the Southwest disruptions. All right, Sylvain Hinao with those headlines on Southwest. Thank you very much. Yeah. Now back on Wall Street, stock futures are climbing ever so be it fractionally or marginally as the traders gear up for the end of the losing year for 2022 and prepare for 2023. This on the back of a mixed trading session yesterday with the Dow ending the day in the green, though all three major indices are on pace for their worst year since the great financial crisis in 2008. Investors are looking for insight into the state of the economy from manufacturing data and pending home sales this morning as the potential for an economic downturn in the new year still looms high. Joining me now is Delano Saporu, founder of New Street Advisors. He's also a CNBC contributor. Uh, Delano, we've been talking a lot about whether or not this kind of so-called Santa Claus rally can come to fruition after a terrible year and whether or not it carries over into 2023. Has there anything that you've seen in the last couple of days that makes you feel more or less optimistic or more or less pessimistic, given the narrative that we've seen in the markets? Yes. Yeah. Hey, morning, Dom, and happy holidays. Yes, I would say one thing. Looking back on 2022, there was a lot of things that were unpredicted, especially on you know my end, and and we missed some predictions. And it was a terrible year, as you mentioned, for a lot of asset classes, uh, especially equities. Um, and if you're looking at 2023, um, some of the things that I think that are had not bode well for, for the last year are going to turn around some way in the first or second quarter um, of 2023. So I think there's a reason to be optimistic, not just yet. I still think there's some things that will, you know, there's still some downside risks in the market. One, when you look at, you know, obviously the monetary policy we have from the Fed, that we still need to see something on the job front, or they're still looking to see something on the employment front um, to, to see whether or not we're going to have that inflation um, finally start to slow down a little bit more towards target. Um, obviously, you have some still issues with supply chain issues, especially overseas, um, that are going to be still hampering, especially some of the growth areas of the market. Um, and I think those are areas that are going to be persisting through the first quarter of 2023. But I do still think at that point, there's going to be opportunities for investors to dive in, especially at attractive valuations when we look at mega cap tech and some other areas of the market that have been really, really beaten down. Those are the areas that I'm looking at and going to be continuing to buy somewhere in the first or second quarter uh, of 2023. All right. So, so when it comes to that mega cap tech trade, I, I key on it because it's been arguably the epicenter of all the downside here in the markets, uh, markedly so in the last kind of you know, few months here. If you look at some of these names, we're talking like the Apples, the Microsofts, the Alphabets, the Amazons, the Teslas, the, uh, the, the meta platforms. Are any of those attractive enough given the sell off right now? Yes, 100 um, percent. And they are they are very attractive. I think, you know, if you look at Apple, it's probably performed the best out of out of those names. That's one of the, the stocks that I think I like it. Obviously, I really like it. 2023. There's a couple of reasons for it. Um, one, you know, 
with the consumer, you know, being on the brink of kind of personal savings rate being down, consumer being on the brink of kind of being in a really rough position, Apple still going still continue to perform strong. One, they had reached their all-time high on all their major products of usage, and they're able to sustain with some of the detract, detraction we've had with supply supply chain issues. They're looking to move production um, out of some areas that are not, as, as less productive and move into more productive areas. So I think that's a big thing that we have to look at. Then obviously with Amazon, it's fallen hard. That was one of the top picks for myself in 2022, um, and I still want to hold on to that. I think it'll be a better. It'll have performed much much better after performing pretty much sideways to the downside in 2022 much before, much better in 2023. I think with their higher margin business growing faster, that's something I really like. They're competing against you know, Azure. Uh, they're competing against GCP when it comes to the cloud business. But I think they're going to continue to sustain and grow that side of the business. So I really, really like um, those two companies going forward. And Delano, outside of big technology, media and telecom, are there any of these other so-called value type stocks that are out there that are not the growth oriented ones that you think could be positioned well for 2023? Yes, Tom. And really, on that value side, I'm going to healthcare. I'm looking at healthcare as the one that's going to be a staple that will continue to hold and buy more for investors. You look at United Healthcare Group, traded really, really well over the past five years. Um, and the reason why you'd buy right now is because it's strong, uh, has a strong dividend yield, and that's something that investors would really need. And this obviously need over 2022. And then if you look at the margin expanding, they've done well on that side of the business, especially when you look at the different areas in, in healthcare. So I like United Healthcare Group, and just in general, the healthcare sector, I think that's one that you want to stick into um, as, a, as a good staple in the first couple of quarters of 2022 and potentially beyond. All right. United Healthcare trading at 22 times forward earnings with a one and quarter percent dividend yield. Delano Sapporo, New Street. Thank you very much. Have a happy new year. You too, Dom. Thank you. All right. You. Coming up on the show, they're often called the engines of economic growth in this country. So how are small businesses feeling about the world heading into 2023? We will bring you a snapshot of that small business sentiment coming up next. But as we head out to break, first, we're watching shares of Tesla again today. Shocking. The stock dropping another 11% during yesterday's session. It is now on track for its worst month, worst quarter, and worst year on record. Now, that Tesla market cap, just to give you an idea of what we're talking about right now, given all that, is $345 billion. Stay tuned. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Futures right now are pointing towards a more muted opening bell. The Dow's implied higher by just about 56 points. That's where it was just about 12 minutes ago at the top of the hour. The S&P's implied higher by three points and the Nasdaq down by two. There are only three trading days left in 2022. Today, tomorrow, Friday. Here are the Nasdaq 100 losers 
on a year-to-date basis. We're talking about Lucid Group, Tesla on the EV side, also Match Group aligned, Atlassian, all down roughly two-thirds of their uh, value to about 84% for the likes of Lucid Group, 70% declines for Tesla. Now, it has been quite a year for companies and consumers as fears of inflation and a potential recession continue to hang over the economy. Supply chain security, employee retention, and shifting consumer habits all amongst the biggest challenges facing businesses that could impact balance sheets, pricing power, or even earnings in the coming year. But it's not just big corporations. Small businesses are also tightening their belts and finding more creative ways to cut costs without losing key talent or operational resources. Now, still, sentiment is optimistic, with about 40 to 60 percent of small business owners seeing revenue and employee growth in 2023. That's according to a recent survey, though which sectors will thrive remains up in the air. So let's talk more about this with John Stanford, the co-executive director of Small Business Roundtable. John, we often turn to you for that pulse of what America's backbone is doing right now. And we do get a sense that people are generally optimistic. But could a recession derail all that? And how deep of a recession would it have to be to really cripple small business in America? Yeah, well, thanks for having me back and a happy new year uh, and happy holidays. You know, right now you pointed to those numbers, 40 to 60 percent of small business owners are headed into 2023 with a optimism. It's a perennial optimism. Uh, they think they're going to grow revenues and they think they're going to grow headcount. The flip side is we have about 20 percent of small business owners saying they are already planning to reduce headcount. And so the key to that question, just how damaging could a recession be, is will those numbers flip? And right now we're seeing some pretty solid supports, but we do also see warning signs in certain industries, those particularly impacted by inflation or those still facing supply chain challenges uh, or places where labor shortages are so impactful. Think construction. Um, those folks are not wearing the same optimism into the new year. And so at a macro level, we're very concerned about seeing those numbers flip. It's critical that the small business owner in the U.S., Stay optimistic, and it's been a tough time. We came out of COVID in 2022 only to be hammered by inflation, uh, supply chain issues, and, of course, a workforce, workforce challenge that hasn't gone away. Now, now, John, is there any sense from the survey data, from the research that you've done, from your channel checks, your, your, your kind of conversations with small business owners about generally what types of small businesses are generally more optimistic versus which ones are generally a little less optimistic? I mean, we, we often think of small businesses as, as restaurant owners or, or retail operations or, or concession owners, that sort of thing. Well, where exactly is there that kind of divergence, if there is one, for small business owners and sentiment? Absolutely. We're starting to see some interesting things from the data. A couple data points. Um, Businesses that have found a way to go hybrid or go digital, as we've talked about, and have somehow mastered an online presence, so whether that's the local restaurant that's figured out pickup and to-go orders online, whether that's the retailer with the great shop on Main Street, but also figuring out how to ship around the country, uh, those businesses are the most optimistic. So those that have embraced, we found 25%, um, the highest numbers of optimism associated with those businesses that have both an online and Main Street footprint. Now, conversely, those businesses that are absolutely smallest, the micro businesses, uh, those with fewer than five employees, 
they're showing a great deal of concern. They are um, very segmented, uh, and we're seeing that their need for that next employee, that next qualified employee, is not being filled. And so they're very concerned about their ability to scale and grow. So the larger small businesses, the 10 to 50 employees that have an online uh, and in-person footprint, they're feeling they're feeling ready to tackle 2023. But those others that have stayed offline or are very, very small, they're the ones with the most challenging headwinds in their views. John, how exactly is a small business owner supposed to navigate the, the kind of solutions and problems that are facing uh, this economy right now? On the one hand, some of those business owners who are having problems expanding or hiring people would be able to access more jobs and more, more, more employment and, and more qualified candidates if there was an economic slowdown or a recession, right? At the same time, if you had an economic recession or slowdown, those businesses would stand to lose revenue and customers because of the slowdown. It, it's, a, it's a paradox. How exactly do business owners navigate through that kind of a scenario? Well, we actually see these dark times becoming the formation of the next decade's worth of businesses, um, particularly on the upswing out of a recession. So uh, there's some preparation for that, that if we do enter a time with major layoffs, many of those layoffs turn to what uh, one Intuit uh, survey called the year of the side hustle. As the belt tightening in corporate America continues and we see those layoffs, I think we'll see new entrepreneurs coming out of that. But you're right. It's a it's a vicious cycle that small businesses will find themselves in at the front line of the economy. As the economy slows, those businesses will be forced to make tougher decisions. And one of the most critical things to watch is the capital markets. Will will lending tighten? Will banks tighten? Now, we've seen this rise of fintech lenders. And so one of the key questions I have for 2023 is, will this be the year of the fintech lender? Will that trend continue uh, or will government regulation come into the market, uh, possibly tightening that credit? And will private equity get involved? Um, we know we talk a lot on the show about dry powder. Do we expect to see them come in from off the sidelines, even in a tougher market, to see if there are opportunities in sort of the midsize sector? I, I think those questions will help answer uh, that paradox. How will small businesses survive a recession? There's going to have to be a capital influx. And, the, you know, will this be a decade of massive small business growth? We hope so. The next year is really going to be the critical one for setting the framework for the rest of the decade. All right. Liquidity drain, certainly a big concern for small, medium and big, uh, large businesses out there. John Stanford at the Small Business Roundtable. Uh, thank you very much. Happy New Year, sir. Coming up on the show, tennis star Novak Djokovic is back in Australia a year after he was deported over his stance on COVID vaccines. We've got those details when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. Today's big number, $7.3 billion. That's the total box office revenue forecast for China in 2023, according to Morgan Stanley. That would be up 50% from 2022 and the highest in the world. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? 
when we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The U.S. is still facing travel chaos as we head into the New Year's holiday. NBC's Bree Jackson joins us with the latest developments there. Good morning, Bree. Good morning, Dom. Yeah, this is quite a mess. Well, the federal government will investigate why Southwest Airlines has fallen so far behind other carriers. The travel chaos continues at airports nationwide. Delayed, 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 and delayed, and delayed, and delayed, and then canceled. <laughs> it's been stressful. It's been pretty tough. Uh, Southwest was a mess. Southwest Airlines is behind most of the backups, forcing some to scramble for rentals. Oh, well, I've been here for three days. If you're Southwest. And a huge luggage nightmare. The company scrubbed 70% of its flight schedule on Monday, with plans to cancel over 2,000 flights daily Wednesday and Thursday. We're doing everything we can to return to a normal operation. And please also hear that I'm truly sorry. The CEO says the carrier took the worst hit, partly because weather impacted two major hubs in Chicago and Denver. But Southwest pilot and flight attendant unions say outdated scheduling software is also to blame. Clearly, we need to double down on our already existing plans to upgrade systems. We've got uh, uh, passengers who can't get a hold of customer service. It's an unacceptable situation. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg says he'll hold the airline accountable. This has clearly crossed the line from what's an uncontrollable weather situation to something that is the airline's direct responsibility. The holiday meltdown has travelers feeling stranded, enraged, and fed up. I'm so happy to come back. <laughs> I don't want to fly again. I'm scared too. Southwest airline officials say they're optimistic flights will be back on track before next week. And American and Delta Airlines have announced caps on fares as a result of Southwest Airlines canceling their flights. Dom. All right. NBC's Bree Jackson with her the latest on the travel disruptions here. Thank you very much. Let's check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest there. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Dom. Good morning. The Supreme Court has sided with Republican lawmakers from 19 states to keep Title 42 in place for now. The Trump-era immigration policy was enacted as the pandemic broke out to quickly expel asylum seekers. The rule will stay in place while the court hears arguments in February and makes a decision. Meanwhile, the Texas National Guard has installed two miles of new fencing to hold back migrants trying to cross into El Paso. Pope Francis is asking for prayers for his predecessor, Pope Benedict. Francis says the 95-year-old is very sick. Benedict has been living at the Vatican since he resigned in 2013. He was the first pope in 600 years to step down. The Mega Millions jackpot is soaring. Nobody took home the grand prize in last night's drawing, sending the estimated jackpot for Friday up to $640 million. A combined $855 million are up for grabs between the Mega Millions and Powerball, whose $215 million jackpot draws tonight. And Novak Djokovic is back in the game. He landed in Australia overnight, nearly a year after a controversial ban from the country for refusing to get a COVID vaccine. The 21-time Grand Slam champion will play at the Adelaide International, which will begin on Sunday. Dom? Back to you. All right, Philip Mena with the latest there. Thank you very much. Uh, coming up on the show, new details emerging today in the Sam Bankman-Fried saga, including why Alameda Research lent him more than half a billion dollars. 
And by the way, if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. Worldwide Exchange in audio format. We'll be right back. Breaking news overnight, Hong Kong announcing more COVID easing measures. Meantime, the U.S. is considering new rules for travelers arriving from China as infections there surge. Developments in the Sam Bankman-Fried saga, new reports on Alameda Research lending him money for a Robin Hood stake. And now the probe into how $372 million vanished in a hack after FTX's fall. Plus, what Lyft just did for the first time that does not have investors very happy this morning. It's Wednesday, December 28th, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Dominic Chu, and for Brian Sullivan today, it's right around 5.30 a.m. Eastern time out here on the East Coast. Here's how stock futures are shaping up. We are moving between kind of gains and losses here, but just marginally so. Right now, the Dow is implied higher by a modest 62 points, the S&P higher by just about four. Meanwhile, the Nasdaq drifting just into negative territory, down about two points. So again, Little movement, marginal, but again, three trading days left in this particular year. In the bond market, yields are backing off just a little bit after moving higher yesterday. Currently, that benchmark 10-year Treasury note yield is 3.83%, the two-year note yield 4.35%, and the 30-year long bond just around 3.91%. Let's also hit oil prices, which are drifting lower as well. Some demand concerns still at play here, although we are still below $80 per barrel, for U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate or WTI crude prices down 35 cents, $79.19, down roughly one half of 1%. A similar percentage decline for ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge down 43 cents to $83.90. And by the way, NAT gas prices below $5 right now, $4.94 there. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top stories. Silvana Hinao is back with those. Hi, Silvana. Hey, Dom. All right. Well, let's start with COVID and China's reopening. Today, Hong Kong Chief Executive John Lee announced further easing of COVID measures in the city. Inbound travelers will need will no longer need to provide a mandatory PCR test. The city is also canceling its vaccine pass program and instead focusing on what it calls more targeted measures for elderly vaccination. Hong Kong will also remove social distancing measures, including a ban on gatherings of more than 12 people. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index led the region in gains today, boosted by the news. Meantime, the U.S. government is considering new rules for travelers from China. Officials cite worries about infections surging on the mainland, combined with the lack of transparent data. Japan and Taiwan have both announced plans to require a negative COVID test for travelers arriving from mainland China, Dom. Silvana Hinao, thank you very much for those headlines. We continue to follow developments in the Sam Bankman-Fried collapse and the legal saga that's ensued because of that. Among the newest headlines, court papers show he and former FTX CEO Gary Wang borrowed more than $546 million from Alameda Research to buy a nearly 8% stake in Robinhood. Now, the stake totals about 56 million shares, and it's now at the middle of a legal fight as FTX, BlockFi, and an FTX creditor are all trying to make claims to the shares in different legal proceedings. Meantime, the U.S. government wants to know how $372 million went missing in a hack just hours after the FTX bankruptcy. Bloomberg reports there is now a criminal probe into the stolen assets separate from the fraud case against Bankman-Fried. And then one more headline. Solana 
is tumbling again today. That is the cryptocurrency backed by Bankman Freed. So analysts say that the drop comes amid worries that large holders could be getting ready to offload that particular token. So Solana is now down below 10 bucks, nine dollars and ninety five cents there. Now, it's been a rough year for the markets with stocks pressured by high inflation, rising interest rates and generally a tough act to follow after two banner years of growth during the pandemic. The Nasdaq is lapping the field among the major averages down nearly 34 percent in that span. Check out some of the declines in the mega cap technology names this year. Alphabet is down 40 percent. Amazon and Netflix both off more than 50 percent. Microsoft and Apple could be considered outperformers, if you will. Their declines are less than 30 percent. Meta is, by the way, down 65 percent. Snap more than 80 percent. And Pinterest and Spotify, Pinterest 35 percent, Spotify nearly 70 percent below its levels there. And we're not even including Tesla here, which is on pace for its worst year ever, down 70 percent on a year to date basis. So let's talk more about the tech trade as we close out 2022 and close in on 2023. We welcome in Mark Mahaney, head of Internet Research at Evercore ISI. Mark, it's always great to get your thoughts here. This has been a tech wreck, to, to, to say the very least this year, the likes of which we haven't seen since the great financial crisis. Uh, what do you make of it? Is, is the opportunity now there or is there still a ways to go before we can find any kind of a bottom? Well, Dom, you're right. Dominic, you're right. It's a tech wreck. It's the worst year since uh, 2008 uh, for the stocks. And there's a variety of factors and you already uh, went through them. So what's the outlook like for next year? You've uh, de-risked multiples. You've probably de-risked estimates. Whether you've done it enough or not, that's the open question. Uh, and then uh, across the Internet space I've looked at, that I look at, you've taken out a lot of costs. Um, uh, you've had about 70% of the public internet stocks have announced some sort of riff, you know, reduction in force, uh, employee layoffs. So what that means is that when this, uh, when there's a cyclical recovery in the economy and a cyclical recovery in these companies' fundamentals, you'll do it off a lower cost base. That creates a, uh, creates an EPS slingshot opportunity. Um, so that's th- there should be a good setup for 23. At least uh, for a variety of reasons, it's going to be much less challenging than uh, than 22 was. But the one big uncertainty is we really haven't seen the full impact of what's clearly decelerating retail, uh, advertising, uh, cloud computing, and maybe online travel trends. So that's the big question mark. And you want to be awfully selective going into this next year. But I do think a lot of the multiple risk has been taken out. So I think the setup is more constructive going into 23 than it was into 22. Mark, I mean, you've watched a number of these cycles play out. I mean, I have. I remember starting my Wall Street career during the dot-com era. And I remember some of the conversation around just when people decide that they want to get back in. It's oftentimes before the worst actually happens, right? I mean, people are already anticipating brighter days ahead. How do you as an analyst try to figure out what the turning point will be if there is still a headwind for the overall tech trade, when do investors say, OK, you know, maybe it's about time that I try to front run everybody else and get in before the bottom actually happens? Well, uh, maybe three points, Dominic. I'm sure there'll be a couple of these. I'm sure there'll be a good number of these what are called what I like to call hope trades. So I hope things are going to get better and you see uh, stocks rally and then they get disappointed. But there'll be a couple of those. One of those will eventually you know, be right. Um, the second question we all need to ask as uh, investors, analysts is, are the issues uh, cyclical or is there something structural going on? You could argue in a case of uh, Meta uh, that with the Apple privacy changes, with the rise of TikTok, there's actually something structurally uh, going on with um, 
it's a structural challenge that uh, or slash competitive challenge that Facebook has got to meta has got to figure its way out of. Whereas there are other names, I think, like Amazon, whereas I'm pretty it's pretty clear to me that the issues are almost entirely cyclical. And then uh, you get to the third uh, level of questions, which is when does the cycle abate? Uh, when do we start getting um, improvement in demand trends? And there you just have to look at the fundamentals. When does revenue growth stop decelerating and when do margins start uh, stabilizing? And when you get that turn in the fundamentals, that's when the stock, the stocks are going to anticipate that and look to move up, you know, three, maybe even six months in advance of that. Deep consensus opinion right now is that we're going to have a fundamental basing out uh, in, uh, in the middle of 23. That's strong consensus opinion. So we all have to ask ourselves, is consensus too early or too late? Um, and that's the that, that's the trick uh, here, right here, right now. I mean, Mark, this is it's curious because I, I mean, you get paid to look at these things and, and to make the, these calls. So, so I wonder, on balance, asking yourself all of those questions and, and seeing the valuations and price action for some of the big internet names that you that you cover, which ones are the most likely to have the most upside potential in the coming months and quarters? because things have now converged to a point where they're like a spring, you know, to the upside. Are there any names that are like that? I mean, we saw at the latter part of this year, Netflix yeah. act in that sort of way. So what other stocks could be like that, hypothetically, in 2023? Well, just remember, in 2022, it's the tale of two cities. First half of the year, all uh, tech stocks, but particularly in the Internet space that I look at, all tech stocks trade up pretty equally. I mean, i.e. really equally negative. In the back half of the year, you started to get quality bifurcation, like stories with something new to them, free cash flow inflection point on a part of Uber, a, a brand new revenue stream on a part of Netflix. Those stocks started to outperform. So the market is starting to you know, bifurcate a little bit, which, is, which means it's a stock picker's market. You give me that setup, the names I like are ones that have got a new revenue stream uh, that are going to be somewhat recession resilient and have already taken cost actions. Netflix is at the top of the list. You know, on those criteria for me. So Netflix is our number one buy. Uber is our number two buy. And then I'll go uh, uh, Meta is our number three buy on the belief that it's a value play trading at 12 times gap earnings. And I just need a little something to go right on this. Either their reels monetization works so they're able to recapture that ad signal that they lost because of the privacy changes. You get either of those uh, working. The company's already aggressively cut costs. There, there's just a lot of asymmetric risk reward on, on Meta, so that'd be the third, uh, third pick. But I particularly like the setup on Netflix. It's inexpensive, very inexpensive uh, entertainment. They've already taken some costs out, and it's a new revenue stream that they've got. They're just starting to, to light it on uh, uh, this quarter, that December quarter, and that's the ad, ad advertising video uh, on-demand service. All right. Netflix, Uber. And meta platforms among Mark Mahaney's top picks for 2023. Mark, always great to hear your thoughts. Thank you very much. We'll see you next Thank time you, around. Dominic. Happy New Year, sir. Uh, coming up on the show, China's pulling back on COVID measures in a bid to reopen its economy, but infections on the mainland are surging. What this means for the bigger global picture in the economy coming up next. But first, as we head out to break, check out this morning's biggest winners and losers in the market for the pre-market, at least in the S&P. Carnival, T. Rowe Price and Match among some of the bigger gainers pre-market right now in the S&P 500. On the downside, you are seeing some moves lower in certain key names as well. Stay tuned. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. There's been a lot of optimism among investors over China and the reopening of the world's second largest economy as the government has largely scrapped its long-held zero-COVID policy. So check out the FXI China Large Cap ETF and the K-Web or Crane Shares China Internet ETFs 
the ticker KWEB there. They're both positive for the month. The KWEB is, by the way, up more than 10% in that span. But there are still many potential hurdles in the year ahead, including a bumpy and slow return to growth, a continued surge in COVID cases and deaths, and then rising tensions between the U.S. and China. So let's talk more about all of this with Ben Harburg, managing partner at MSA Capital, which is, by the way, based in Beijing. You could call him, so to speak, boots on the ground. So, Ben, let's talk about those boots on the ground that you have there. What is the outlook like for 2023 in China and the trade? Is big tech in China going to make a comeback or not? It inevitably has to go up from today's levels. We have uh, finally a confirmed reopening of uh, global travelers coming in and out of the country. Uh, we've rolled back all zero COVID uh, measures that were restricting uh, movement and obviously therefore restricting consumption uh, and trade. Uh, and so d- definitively of all of the global markets today, I think China has the most upward trajectory uh, from today's levels, uh, given that there's just so much room for growth now uh, that zero COVID is being rolled back and the government is prioritizing growth uh, above all else um, in, in, in their latest kind of policy measures, uh, rolling back even things like uh, the restrictions on uh, the uh, online education space and, and, and antitrust measures on technology companies. So uh, this has to be a year for growth for China. So, so uh, that's, a good, that's an, in- an interesting point that you bring up, Ben, because we've been focused a lot about the economic macro picture around uh, China, the, the, the COVID surges, zero COVID, the shutdowns for manufacturing. But it wasn't that long ago we were talking about a very harsh government crackdown on big tech by the Chinese Communist Party, almost anti-business, some would characterize it as. Uh, is that now behind us? Do you, do you think China and, and the Politburo there have, have, have realized that maybe fighting big tech was probably a bad thing to do for their valuations and their status in the world? We could never say never here, and it's, it's inevitable that there will be future regulatory interventions. But clearly, the Central Party Congress uh, working groups around it, uh, the uh, environment and um, uh, the economy have shown uh, recently that they are going to be prioritizing growth above all else. And I think, you know, they've really got to give the economy a shot in the arm today. And that's why you're seeing it's, you know, literally the, the, the way I would describe 2023 China is whiplash. We go from zero COVID to open gates. We go from high regulatory technology um, kind of interventions and restrictions to now the door being thrown open again. Uh, and so I think, again, it's going to take markets a while to stabilize and to, and c- to catch their breath uh, in, in the face of such rapid shifts. But but I do think that the Chinese government recognizes that they've got to put every single lever into growth possible. And that includes rolling back restrictions on technology. We saw just today new games that were approved for Tencent. I think you're going to see a, a spat of unexpected approvals uh, and regulatory rollbacks over the coming months to drive growth. And Ben, before we let you go, just a few moments left here. What, what do you think are the most intriguing corporate stories that will come out of China in 2023? Which companies do you think have the most to gain or lose based upon the storylines we've seen in 2022 going into 2023? It's got to be a consumer roar back. I mean, again, we're going to see revenge consumerism. People have been sitting on the sidelines, not spending money because they were worried where their next paycheck would come from. That consumerism is going to come back. 
Um, travel is going to come back, so we'll see an explosion, I think, in flights and, and travel both domestically and globally. Um, you know, other sectors like real estate, I think, are poised to improve somewhat because of regulatory and government intervention there to stabilize the sectors. I think where we're going to see the most challenges are really those technology companies that are facing U.S. extraterritorial uh, regulations, uh, and those are in the core technology space, uh, the chips, the operating system companies uh, that are going to face future uh, regulatory events from the U.S. side, not the Chinese. All right, Ben Harburg, MSA Capital, with the outlook on China in 2023. Thank you very much. Have a happy New Year, sir. Coming up on the show, tis the season for bonuses and pay raises. So why is the AMC CEO asking his board to just say no? We've got the answer coming up next. And if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, just check us out on Apple or Spotify or any other podcast app or platform. Or what exchange in audio format. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 a.m. Eastern time hour. So here we go. Southwest Airlines is warning of more flight cancellations today after scrapping nearly two-thirds of its flights yesterday and about 70% of its schedule back on Monday. The Tesla sell-off intensifying with the stock ending yesterday down 11%. The electric car company is now days away from closing out its worst month, worst quarter, and worst year on record. Shares of Lyft are also in the red after the stock closed lower than 10 bucks a share for the first time ever. Three quarters of its valuation has disappeared just so far this year. Those shares, by the way, 982 in the last trade. And the U.S. government is considering imposing new COVID rules for travelers from China after Japan announced it will require a negative COVID test from those arriving from mainland China starting this Friday. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried and former executive Gary Wang borrowed more than 456, 546 rather, million dollars from Alameda Research to buy an almost 8% stake in Robinhood earlier this year. And AMC CEO Adam Aaron is asking the theater chain's board to freeze his pay for 2023 due to the decline in AMC stock, which is, by the way, down over 75% so far this year. On today's agenda, we have two economic reports of note. The November Richmond Fed Manufacturing Survey and November Pending Home Sales, both due 10 a.m. Eastern Time later on this morning. Well, let's talk more about the markets and the setup with your money, with stock futures right now pointing to a more mixed opening bell. Joining me now is Ross Mayfield, investment strategist at Baird. Uh, Ross, I, I wonder if you look at the picture so far, we've got three trading days left this year. We will not pending any kind of crazy miracle, close positive on the year. But what exactly could be a good narrative or story for the markets in 2023 in the final three trading days of the year? So I think if you want to make the bull case for 2023, you start with timing. So the, the bear market is getting long in the tooth. It'll be a, a year long here in the next couple of weeks. The Fed is near the end of its hiking cycle and inflation is heading in the right direction. So you can make the case that a lot of this pain is behind us and we can start to look forward to kind of a resetting of the economic cycle. Um, but I think what you also have to have is you have to have earnings hold up. So we've seen um, corporations and the consumer be pretty resilient uh, over the last two years through COVID, through inflation, through geopolitical uh, turmoil. But we really need earnings to hang in there. Um, I think valuations have taken a hit, uh, obviously, as rates have gone higher. But if earnings uh, contract in the next year, I think it's going to be hard for equities to be really positive. Um, so we need we need companies to to resume that resilience 
and uh, and stay pro- profitable. Ross, I, I, on that earnings front, on that earnings story, what is your what exactly is your baseline expectation for what the coming earnings season will hold as we look back on the fourth quarter of this year? I think ultimately you'll probably see an earnings contraction in 2023, um, but I do think it'll be fairly mild versus what you've seen during past recessions. So you haven't really ever gotten an economic recession without a pullback in earnings that comes with it. Those can be pretty dramatic. Um, Company earnings can really fall when the economy goes into recession. I think a soft landing scenario at this point means a pretty mild recession versus historical standards and therefore either flat or maybe down single digit percent earnings in 2023. I think that would be a pretty good outcome for markets, all things considered. And that's kind of what we're expecting. Um, you know, profit margins come in a little bit from their record highs. We're already starting to see that. Um, and then you you get earnings kind of flat to down a little bit as the economic cycle resets when the Fed pauses, when inflation kind of gets closer to that 2% target. And then we can look forward to the rest of the, the, the decade, really. All right. So, so if that's the case, uh, you're saying that you, you could see that kind of a recessionary move in, in, in the economy. That would theoretically take away some of that inflationary pressure. If that were to happen, what exactly should investors be doing with money right now? Should they be waiting for later on in 2023? Or is now the time to get in in certain places? And, and if so, where? It's a great question. I, I think it's obviously the number one thing on people's minds. So, I, and I think it's a question of time horizon. If you're a longer-term investor, even a you know a year plus, um, to to stretch the the use of that word, um, I think again we're starting to get to a point where the bear market is long in the tooth. You can start to see some pretty attractive entry points, especially with the pullback of late. Um, but if you're a little more short-term, a little more tactical, I do think it still plays to be defensive and to move up in quality. Um, I think we could retest the lows at some point in the first half of the year. I think the Fed insisting that they want to remain more hawkish than the market once will keep volatility high in the near term. And short term rates could have another jump higher as the Fed uh, continues their aggression. So I think volatility in the near term, you know, merits a defensive positioning. But longer term, I think you can start to pick your spots. Um, in some of the more cyclical and value-oriented areas. All right, Ross, I, you, you've obviously been looking at a number of different possibilities, scenarios, catalysts. What is the thing that you think could be a real outlier, statistically improbable, that may upset that story either to the upside for the markets or more severely to the downside in 2023? I'll take the positive till it heading into your end here. I think we have not gotten a boost from productivity whatsoever. So despite work from home, despite people getting thousands, millions of hours back from commutes, you know, all of the innovations over the last couple of years, U.S. productivity has really been down. And so if you don't have a productive workforce, it makes it very hard to get inflation where you need it to be without sacrificing real wage gains, without sacrificing earnings in the process. Sure. I think there's a, a potential that we do start to see an uptick in productivity. And what you can get if you see an uptick in productivity, you know, more output per hour right. um, from employers, you can really get a tailwind for, for a decade long. All right. um, we're starting to see some real innovation on the technology side um, that I think hasn't been implemented in sure. a positive way yet, but we could see. Okay. Ross Mayfield over at Baird, thank you very much for the thoughts. Have a happy new year, sir. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Markets right now pointing to some marginal gains at the opening bell. Squawk Box is coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. FedEx.